0: Uh, welcome. This, I think, is the ideal morning. Uh, absolutely ideal. It's, it's wet and rainy out, so you can't do much outside. Some of your kids have probably had their games canceled or their practices canceled. We are talking about things that are most important. Who is Christ? How does he come to us in the issues of life? And, and, and here's what makes it especially sweet for me... And I'm among friends and neighbors. You are my neighbors. I I got up well, I got up early this morning, but I left around 8 30 and basically could have put my car in neutral and coasted down the hill and been here. <laughs> so it is it is lovely to see old friends, many old friends, and and to see my neighbors all gathered together. So for me, this is utterly ideal. Thank you very much for coming and I look forward to our time together. In, in my mind, our purpose, our overarching purpose, obviously we're going to be speaking about fear and anxiety, but the circle around them is more or less, how does God do things? How does his household work? How does he speak to us? How does he, how does he teach us to speak with him? And, and words that, that will be resounding in God's house, that capture the, the culture and the tone of it, would be these. One, there's a simplicity to life in God's house. You don't have to be especially smart. In fact, it is best if you are a child. We'll hopefully we'll grow as a child even this morning. There's a simplicity of God's word that makes his words available to everyone. Which means, if I am speaking words that are not in tune with that culture of God's house, that don't make any sense, just, just nudge somebody next to you, nudge the courageous person at your table, and just tell them to get up and say something. There's a simplicity to our lives together in God's house. That's one. The second is there is a, a death to life in God's house. We are speaking about the things in the universe that are most important, there, and there's a kind of... I'll, I'll, I'll channel the Apostle Paul for a moment. There's a kind of boasting that we can have, where for some reason, we have no idea why, but for some reason, God has opened our eyes to spiritual realities, to himself and his ways, and when he opens our eyes, we can see more profoundly than the world is capable of seeing without the Spirit and without Scripture. So what we're aiming for is to speak simple truths from Christ and for them to seem and be quite profound They go more deeply than any medication can possibly go. Uh, there are all kinds of things that can be helpful but they don't necessarily go deep. They don't have that eternal value to them. So we're looking for something simple and something profound as we speak. The other is, we want to capture something of the beauty of Christ in his words to us. And, and we could, frankly, we could take any problem known to humanity and we would encounter the beautiful words of Jesus. But, but please, hold us accountable. Hold yourself accountable to this, and hold me accountable to it as well. If the words we're speaking, if the things we're thinking, are don't have some element of beauty to them, we're not thinking about the words that live in God's house. So anyway, that's, we're going to be talking about anxiety, and we're going to be talking about depression. But these are the ways that we are going to be speaking to them. And by the way, you'll get some outlines on this in, in a moment so you won't have to write it all down. What I would like to ask from you are a few different things. Um, don't treat me as a guest. Treat me as a neighbor. Treat me as a friend. So if there are things in your mind, if there are things aren't clear, then belt it out. Like, uh, I'm going to... We're doing this together, which is another way things are done in God's house. Be try to be multitasking, as I'm talking. Hopefully you'll you'll hear things that are good for your soul. But then you're going to be doing two things at least. What questions do these arouse in your own mind? So always be looking to generate other questions. Raise them with the person next to you, raise them in your tables. Uh, Raise them during our time a little bit later in the morning. What questions does this this raise in your own soul? If we understand something well, we usually have questions that that we can bring to it. And also, I'll pray this for us. What is the one thing that the Spirit is putting on your heart? Let's assume that the Spirit has brought us here he is always sanctifying us and always growing us, including this particular time. He has an agenda for each one of us. So be keeping in step with the Spirit in your own life. What is it that the Spirit has for you this morning? Both for your own heart and and for those that you know who are struggling as well. So with that in mind, let me, let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we... What a delight for us to be together on a, on a cloudy and somewhat nasty morning. This is the best place to be. Uh, but, but to be dependent on you and know that you are pleased to give us the very best of things. Give us more of Christ, we pray. Give us, would you, as you inevitably do, would you grant us words that seem so personal, to us. It's it's we are stunned that you know us by name and give us precisely what our hearts need uh, this morning. Father, would you do that for all of us as we meet with you and before you in the name of Christ? Amen. Let me let me introduce something about who we are in God's household. And something about our identity, something about the way that we work together, something about the way that we see ourselves. Really, two things I want to identify here. One is that you are needy. You are needy. You are, what other words are there? You are dependent on another. This is the way you live. You are weak. You are, I'm almost quoting Paul on this, I'm not accusing you of it. You are, you're sort of ordinary, okay, you're sort of ordinary. You you don't have it all together. Uh, You need help. You need help from the Lord, and the Lord also sees fit to, to serve you by way of other people. You need help. Now, now... Try to be multitasking in this i'm saying something that is obvious we can all agree on this it's it's certainly clear in the new testament but do we live that way do we live aware daily of our own needs is this the kind of primary identity that that you have i i was um it was a few years ago i I, was, I, I grew up in this area, by the way. I grew up, um, went to a church on the other side of the township and then and, um, and moved away to schools and ended up moving back. There was an elder at the church I grew up in and hadn't seen him for a de- couple decades. And he said, oh, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm a Christian counselor. And he, and he, and he gave, me, gave me this quizzical, dumbfounded kind of look and, and said... Well Christians don't need counseling. Um, I'm so glad you're laughing. Uh, <laughs> I had absolutely no idea how to respond to that. Now, of course, that doesn't mean Christians need professional counseling. But but certainly we are people who need help. Now, is it possible that in your heart there is just a little tiny bit of health, wealth, and prosperity? where you believe that if you do the right things, life will go well for you. Now, of course, you'll be surprised every day because it won't go as well as you'd be hoping for. But, but we don't live with a sense of our own neediness. And if we don't, well, what is the definition of faith? I need another. I need Jesus. I can no longer trust in myself because I am too frail to carry the weight. I trust in another. The very foundation of our lives together right here is that we are needy people. Prayer itself is an expression of Jesus, I need you. Maybe put it another way, you're a human being. You're a mere human being and human beings by design are dependent on God himself and are dependent on each other. The the challenge here is is uh, well I, I'm in a small group at our church and in and is the sort of leaderish person in the small group, there are certain influences that I can have. And one is that when we go around for prayer, I make myself last. And sometimes there's no time for me to give my prayer request. And, and, and there are two reasons for that. One is I'd rather hear from other people than myself. I know what my prayer requests are. I, I'd, I'd rather hear theirs. But there is another reason as well. Because to ask for prayer is it should be the most natural thing for us. But for example, a couple weeks ago, I if it if it had, there was time and it came back to me, I knew I was gonna have to ask people to pray for my own anxieties at that particular time. There were some things going on in the house. And I was hoping that I would not have to ask for prayer for such a You see what I'm saying? We know that we are needy. It's natural. (coughs) Excuse me. We should be calling out to the Lord daily with our needs. And if we're calling out to the Lord, then it's going to be natural for us to speak those things to another person. But here I am with people I know and love, and I am reluctant to sound weak. What? What utter foolishness. What utter foolishness. And I suspect every single man here can acknowledge the same exact thing. That for some reason, even though we we espouse, we, we, we speak together and say that indeed we are weak and needy, we are people of faith, not in ourselves but in another. We, we know that, we, we proclaim it. But we don't live out of it as, as well as we might think. Have you ever noticed in a small group that, that a person who expresses their neediness changes everything. You, where, where, have you ever seen small groups where there are sort of polite prayer requests? Uh, sick aunts, sick uh, you know, people who, who, who are somewhat distant from you, but they're relatively polite. Those are the things to do. And And then there's a woman who begins to ask for prayer and she starts sobbing. as She she begins to talk about her teenager whose heart seems to be hard to anything that has anything to do with the life and love of Jesus Christ. And she simply cries and, and asks us to pray for her as a mother and for her teenager. Now, can you imagine what happens after that? How the tone of every single prayer request begins to change. All of a sudden there is a bit more neediness that is spoken. Uh, in men's group, uh, we can do the same thing. We can, we can talk about problems at work. We can probably talk about different... We, we can talk about pray that we would be spiritual leaders. We can pray for the normal things. And, and then someone confesses that on a business trip, he had been involved in pornography. And everything changes. Everything changes. Where somebody confesses, they speak of their need before God and their need before other people. So, one of the things we want to grow in this morning is we want to grow in, in simply acknowledging and living out our own dependence on one another. And if we are truly dependent on Jesus and acknowledge our need before him consistently, it will be easy and natural to speak these things with other people. So that's who you are. You are needy, dependent, a little less than competent, a little less than adequate, and barely ordinary. You're a human being, and you need, you need the Lord's help. And he delights, he delights to help. It's, I have grandchildren, and many of you know how this goes, that for my grandchildren to ask me for help for anything, well, anything I'm competent in, so it can't have anything to do with drawing at all. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but when they ask me to ask me for help for anything, it is one of the deepest pleasures of life. It doesn't matter what it is. And why is that? It's because this is there are some things that are so full in the body of Christ is like it overflows the boundaries of life and goes throughout the world, and and all of us know that that to be asked for help from somebody who needs help, especially a young child, is a great is a great privilege for us. You you need help and you are needed. You give help to other people. Ephesians 4 is the passage that identifies this most clearly. Where where the Lord has given pastors, prophets, apostles, and others to do this. To equip us and you to do the work of ministry. You you need Christ. You are fully dependent on him. And you are used by Christ. Christ. He uses ordinary people to have his ministry move forward. This is the way the church grows. You will do it in Ephesians chapter 4. You will do it with humility, you'll do it with gentleness and patience and love. And you don't have to you don't have to have amazing insights. Think of the people who have helped you. Think of the people who have been good for your own soul. They're the people who who actually wanted to know what was on your heart. They actually cared. When you spoke the things that were on your heart, they were moved by the things that were on your heart. They were moved with compassion. And, and then perhaps you get a text from them a couple days later, saying, you've been on my heart, this is how I've been praying for you. A week later or so, they, they come back to you and say, how are you doing, this is the way I've been praying. That is something that is simple, all of us are able to do. And isn't it true? that those are the kinds of things that move our souls and draw our communities together toward each other and toward Christ. You are a pastor, a little p pastor. And if you feel inadequate for that particular job, then that actually is the resume that you need. If you feel thoroughly competent for the job, then go back to number one, you are needy. That's that's life in God's house. And that's the way we want to approach our day. We we need Jesus to speak through his spirit to our own hearts. We are also thinking, how can I bless another? Because, Because the struggles we have are shared by those who are all around us. There's a little secret here. Um, I work as a professional counselor. And and there is a very quiet sort of stream of literature within professional counseling. It's not advertised a great deal. But, but basically the theme is this. The gold standard for help is a friend. It's you. Somebody who loves you. Somebody who loves you and... And cares for you is not simply seeking to teach you and educate you and show you where you're wrong. Who doesn't come at you from above, but comes next to you, walks with you. That is the gold standard for a helper. And what professional counseling is trying to do is they are trying to measure up to that gold standard. That's that's it's a, it's not a secret, but. It is this quiet stream that goes throughout the decades of professional counseling, and it makes all kinds of sense to us. Because God delights in using ordinary, simple people who know Jesus, who love him, and who love other people, and pursue them with love. So that's that's who we are in, in God's house, with those things in mind. Now let's Let's move to how do we walk together in wisdom and love with the pervasive struggle of human anxiety and fear? And, and by the way, the, the, the image that I'm using is intentional. How can we, in God's house, walk together, walk with him and with each other in wisdom and love as we hear God's words about fear and anxiety, things you already know, of course. Fear and anxiety is everywhere. There was a time I was work, doing a writing project, and and if you came over to my house during those days, you would have been asked the question, "Talk to me about your fears and anxieties." It it was it, it's if you you couldn't eat dinner until you answered the question, and. And here were the, here's what I found. Nobody paused. Nobody paused. They, they, they didn't even have to think. They were immediately able to speak of a fear and anxiety. And as these things tend to go, once they found one, they found another 10. Uh, and Once you found 10, you can find many more. When, all you gotta do is just find the first one, and all of a sudden you're in, and you recognize that you are plagued with fears and anxieties. Uh, if you don't recognize them, it's because they're background noise in your life and you become almost immune to it because it's so common. So here's, here's what we know, that everyone struggles with fear and anxiety. There was actually one person who said, you know, I, 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 I don't, I, I don't struggle with fear and anxiety. And, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to say. But then I guess there was a pause in the conversation, and he said, "Well, yeah, I, I get I I get concerned about whenever my children are sick. I get concerned. Uh, I think of them. I, I think of them in danger whenever they go out of the house. I I think of I think of my, I think of will will the financial market collapse and I be destitute? And will I have enough money for my wife? And I think of." I think of things that happen when I'm older, all of a sudden you start thinking, I don't, I don't know what his original answer was. I, I guess he was thinking, have you ever been certified, diagnosed, and uh, hospitalized for these particular problems? So, here's the here's way we want to start. You want to be able to find this in your own heart. Let's, let's lead with your needy. Uh, and move from there to, to being needed. Uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I ingest, I blame my wife for many things. I, for example, uh, I don't really remember crying when I was younger. But I cried on my wedding day, and I've been crying since. So, uh, <laughs> so it's her fault, uh, um, good crying, bad crying. I don't remember being anxious until my wedding day. I I'm sure I was. I'm sure if you had me over and said, What are your fears and anxieties? I'm sure I could have thought of some. But in my recollection, I don't remember fears and anxieties until I got married. And then two days you know, two days after our honeymoon, well, we had a weekend honeymoon, but two days after we got back, my wife started having some pain in her stomach. And I'm thinking, I'm I, 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 she's finally my own, and now she's gonna die. Um, and, and, and then it turns out she had an appendicitis. I was sure she was going to die, and, so, and it went downhill from there. Uh, you know, my anxieties kicked in with a vengeance. You know, second day of, of marriage, and what, this, that's the way it goes. You, the more you love, the more anxieties you're going to have. My, one of the things that my wife and I have not been able to sort out very well is this. She will she'll be on the phone. She's talking to one of the children. And she'll say, oh! And I say, Sharon, you got to tell me exactly what's going on right now. And you can never say, oh, ever, ever, ever again. And she, it's still, we haven't sorted it out yet. But she even. what I'm saying. She says, "Huh." Oh, she says that at least every other day. At least every other day. And I, I lose another 10 minutes of life every single time it happens. It's, it's everywhere. Oh, and by the way, I don't know if I'll have time to get into this, but I, didn't, I don't mean to, to boast, but I've had my panic attacks. Okay. Um, it, it's... I don't know what happened with with these things. There's there's all kinds of questions. Forty years ago, I heard of panic attacks. I never knew anybody who had one, and and then the decades go by and the statistics increase. And now, if you don't, if you haven't had panic attacks, you're you're out of step. You're you're old fashioned. Uh, come on, get with the program here. Um, so. Um, talk about that a little bit more. I want you to to define this. By the way, you also know that it's increasing. Uh, Every problem known to humanity seems to be increasing. Anxiety and fears, they're they're intensifying and they are plaguing the youngest of children. And I'm not just talking about the boogeyman and fear of the dark. (coughs) I'm talking about adult kinds of fears that are taking over teens and preteens. So the first thing we want to do is just be able to find it to, together. But perhaps we should take a look at a couple of questions first. What is fear and anxiety? Well, something you love is at risk. That's the basic idea. Something you love is at risk. Uh, fear tends to be the, the threat is present right now. The diagnosis has been made, and you are living with it, or someone you love is living with a dangerous diagnosis. There's some kind of threat to, to health, our own health, or the health of somebody we love. There's some kind of threat to finances. These are the big ones in scripture. Uh, some kind of threat to finances. We will not have enough when we need it. Or there's a threat to reputation, which tends to have something to do with failure as well. That we will fail and our reputation will, will not survive. Anxiety and fear tend to be, here are the things things that you love, and they all seem to be at risk. Why is it increasing? Ah, I don't know. Perhaps we'll have time to speculate on that. It's not the most important question, but it is increasing. Uh, You'll see it increasing in you. You'll see it increasing in those around you. Now, one other question that I think is especially important (coughs) is anxiety, are fears and anxieties, are they sinful? Are they sinful? As far as I can tell, the answer to that is absolutely, they're sinful. But that does create a bit of a problem. Because I've just identified panic attacks and sort of boasted about them. Um, that I, I am not a person who takes pleasure in identifying my weaknesses uh, or my sins. It's, if, if anxiety and fear are, are sinful, most of us are doing really bad at it. And at some point, why are we going to bother even bringing it up before the Lord? Why do we ask forgiveness? Because, because five minutes later we're going to be struggling with the same thing, and five minutes later we're going to struggle with the same thing. It is a bit of a challenge. The, the most prominent command in Scripture is do not be afraid. And do not be anxious. Well, what do you... By the way, it also, it also leads to a short morning seminar. Yeah, this, don't be anxious. There is... It, 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 it does sort of miss the beauty of the kingdom of heaven just a little bit. But it seems to be absolutely clear. Well, sometimes a command is not a command. Sweetie, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to my grandkids. Uh, uh, sweetie, um, don't worry. Don't worry. We're here. We're here. That's that's. It's technically command. Don't worry, but it's not a command. It's you're you're looking to speak comfort. Jesus says, "Do not weep." to a woman who has lost her son after having lost her husband. He says, do not weep. That's not a command. Stop your crying. It is a comfort. And and, and when Jesus says it, it's a little bit different. It's it's something like this. Uh, Do not weep. Because I'm here, and I'm going to do something about it. We cannot always do something about it. But but that is the ethos of Scripture. I'm here, and I will do something. Go in peace. Go in peace. That's a command. Go in peace. Well, it's not a command. It's it's a blessing. Sometimes a command is a command. Sometimes a command is, is not a command. When you go and search the scriptures for fears and anxieties, and listen to God's word, you will always hear his sweetest of words, his absolutely sweetest of words. You will hear him speak of his presence with you, which is the greatest promise that he could possibly give. You will hear him repeat himself over and over again because he knows we're not going to get it the first or the tenth time and he's pleased to repeat it, and he repeats it in a way that is, that is truly beautiful. This is not the way Scripture deals with a person who is a persistent and unchanged sinner. This is an important point. Spheres and anxieties are because you're a human being. You are a limited person, and it is a dangerous world, if you do not have fears and anxieties, you have a problem. The Lord assumes that you have your fears and anxieties. And He is raising, He is waiting to speak the best of words to us in the midst of it. Where we're going, opposite of fears and anxieties, faith and rest, along with a bunch of fears and anxieties. That's, that's where we're headed. We're not, it's not gonna be the cancellation, the removal of all your fears and anxieties. It's going to be faith and rest in the midst of your anxieties. So beautiful words, slow growth, gradual appearance of faith and courage. That's that's what we anticipate on this particular walk. In your outlines, I think you have outlines in front of you. Uh, We might not get through all these. Um, There are many things we could say. The scriptures just burgeoning with beautiful words. We're just going to select some of them. But here is here is, I think, in some ways the required starting point. We are in God's house. We are God's household. We struggle, we know our need. And And this is how he responds to your need. Talk to me. Talk to me. Here's the God who knows your heart, who knows every detail on your heart. But but that doesn't mean it's a wordless household, where he knows everything on your heart so you don't have to say anything. That is not the way he does his house. So much of the good things in life, the good things in our relationship, are things that we know about each other, but we're repeating them. The it's simple, the simple, I love you. Uh, that, we, that we don't just do it at a wedding day. We don't do it once, and the person knows it. Well, even if the person knows it, we still repeat it. That's what life is. That's how you do it. So the one who knows you by name, and all the anxieties on your heart, he begins by saying, talk to me. Talk to me. The passage that, you can you take any psalm, is a proof text for this, but but here's here's one of the ways the psalmist speaks of it. Psalm 62, 8. Pour out your heart to him. Pour out your heart to him. Speak to him. In God's house, he speaks and you listen. And you respond, and you're changed. And he says, well, what's on your heart? And you speak to him, and he is affected and changed even by the things that you speak. That's, that's the world that, that we have been brought into. Um, and the amazing thing is that, that there are some things, especially like depression, not as much with anxiety, Sometimes our problems are are so intense, words fail. It's as if we we have no words to say. And in situations like that, what he does is he gives us words to speak. It's as if he says in Psalms, well, is it like this? Is it like this? Is it like this? For example, Psalm 56. Men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attacks. Slanders pursue me. And I'm afraid I will trust in you. What can mortal man do to me? You feel like you are being pursued and overcome. It's just, the, the, the entrance into the Psalms tends to be a question where the Lord says to you, what's on your heart? You have to say things that are important. You can talk about the details of the day but get to those things that are most important. Get to the real you. What are the best things of your day? What are the things you are, you are thankful for? What are the things that have been hardest for you? And what are your fears? This is, this, is, this is the implicit question behind so many of the Psalms, which are intended to teach us how do we do our conversations with, with the Lord. Had panic attacks. For in a particular era, the there there were like there were to me there were these tremors before this huge earthquake. The earthquake happened in the middle of the night. I knew. I actually knew I was gonna, I was changed from that time on. I was going to be different. I didn't know exactly how different. There was no sleeping. Got out of bed. Went into our living room. Had the lights off, and and I tried to consider scripture. Went to Philippians four. Don't be anxious. And then it talks about, think about these things. And I was trying to think about good things. And I did, sort of. But it didn't, but the the panic attack that just was enveloping me with the images, there were certain images that were sort of just just controlling my mind, they, they wouldn't cease. So in other words, going to scripture didn't help. It didn't take away the anxieties. But I was pleased that I was turning to the right place. It was an evidence of faith, but uh, but the next morning, well, it was probably it was probably incited by this. In the morning, my wife woke up. She sometimes I get up before her. So she she wasn't surprised, but I must have looked like I must have looked different. <laughs> uh, my eyes, my, I, I don't know what it was. She said, "Well, what what's happening?" And she said, well, I had a panic attack last night, and I've been up all night. Her first thought was, her first question was, well, why didn't you wake me up? Why didn't you wake me up? My answer was, because I didn't want two people to have a miserable night's sleep. (laughs) But my next thought was, I really wish I would have woken her up. I really wish I would have woken her up. What could she have done? Nothing, nothing but for her to be present and speak about these things to her it seemed like it was right and good. I think that was sort of the stimulus for what came later in the day. And later in the day it was this. I, I thought the right thoughts. These are the things that I should do. But it was as if I was using the scripture as a pill to get rid of the anxieties. One thing I never did was I never said, Lord, this feels like death itself is enveloping me. It and and I feel like a sissy because because I don't like the idea of dying, at least not in this particular way. I, I, I feel like I should be more courageous in the midst of it. And and then just to simply speak, this is what it is like. It it wasn't until the next day that I saw that. The most central feature to the kingdom of heaven. Tell me what's on your heart. It, it's a whole lot harder than you think. It's easier to use Scripture as a way to try to solve our problems. Which is not how Scripture is intended. Scripture is intended to turn us to the one who loves. Who is the only one powerful enough to do anything. So we can, by the way, uh, this morning, we could stop. You, you see, there's a list of things we're going to be talking about. We could stop at any one of them and say, this is, this is enough. If, if I can have this implanted in my soul, if I learn how to speak to the Lord quickly and persistently in the midst of my struggles, then, then that, is, that is the spirit on the move in my heart. How are you doing in... This is a rhetorical question, but how are you doing in... In speaking to the Lord of these things, I suspect some of you are very good at it. You do it immediately and instinctively. Some of you are not so good at it. And is it any surprise that I am a little bit reluctant to speak about my anxieties in a small group when I? It's the next day that I actually speak to the Lord. It's not. It's not immediate that I speak to the Lord if we are speaking to the Lord openly about the things in our hearts, it will be natural for us to speak to other people. If it is not natural for us to speak to the Lord, then it certainly will not be natural for us to speak to others. This is, this is among the first things that the Lord says to you in the midst of your anxieties and your fears. Speak. Speak to me about them. And this... And this is probably going to be what he says in response. He'll say many things, but but, but this is, in a sense, the most persistent thing that he will say. He will say, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I am with you. That is that is what he will say. Now, I've I've flown with family members who are afraid when they're flying, um, which is a fairly common fear. Well, one of the ways you can deal with your fear of flying, and this happened to me one time, you can sit next to a pilot who who is going to another city. And you can ask the pilot a kajillion questions. How does this actually work? And how can, how can these wings hold up all these all, all this? And, and what if somebody has really heavy luggage? And what if we happen to be a, a, an overweight group? Uh, and, uh, you have all these different questions. How does this thing actually happen? And what about that noise just then? What did that mean? Does this mean we're going to crack it, it? That's one way that you can, you can deal with your fears and anxieties. And, and that's that's fine. a little harder to do with bridges. You, know, you, don't have, you don't have engineers who are around who can tell you how bridges actually stay up very easily. But what we're looking for is something deeper. Deeper. Because, because if, if, if theories of aerodynamics, if they make it so you're not as anxious on a plane, The, there's something fine in that. But they kept you from crying out to the Lord. That's that's what you can do. The rest of the world, they can ask the pilot the questions. But you can pour out your heart to the God who hears. And anything that distracts you from that is not a good thing. So, so do your homework on... And what are the fears? And I still have. Well, well, I'll give you an illustration of homework. We have snakes in our backyard. We have snakes everywhere in our backyard. Live, live right up the hill here. Uh, and and um, and they're all poisonous, and they all have fangs. Um, I think. I think. Um, so uh, I. It's, it's ridiculous. I know somewhere where these things are. Yesterday, I had, I had slippers on. I was walking around the backyard. And I had to get something where the patch was. So I went inside, and I got my boots. My big leather boots, where I know when the rattlesnake bites me, it's not going to be able to bite through them. Um, and I had double It's just the most ridiculous thing in the world. Um, well, here, here's, you can tell me. You can teach me about snakes. You can tell me those garter snakes are not poisonous. Uh, you can tell me they don't have teeth, but it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. Um, and that's my point. Information and in education is, that's the American way. You educate yourself about these things, but education is fine, but it can distract you from saying, Jesus, I need you. And when you say, Jesus, I need you, all of a sudden rattlesnakes in your backyard are, are the perfect opportunity for your soul. Perfect opportunity. So, you all know this. You know that scripture responds, I am with you. I am with you. But sometimes it feels a bit hollow. Well, good, you're with me. But the snake is still there. But but I still don't know if the plane is going to go down or not. It's better that you're with me than not with me. But frankly, it doesn't seem to matter a whole lot. Our our mission is how can his presence know this is exactly what we need. And we set off on a lifetime of saying, teach me more about you being with me. Let's take a break and then we'll keep at it after the break.